Welcome to Scary Basement. Each week, me and my friend Mikey are drawn inexplicably and supernaturally to this basement, wherein lurks every scary thing that has ever been, including one vampire rabbit, two werebeast rabbits with giant claws, three cyborg rabbits with death lasers, and oh my god, the entire room is filled with rabbits. Why is it filled with rabbits? I can't... Fr- <laughs> I'm... I'm Roxy Polk. <laughs> And I'm Mikey McCaller, and you know what, Roxy? Mikey? I'm just going to eat these rabbits. Uh, okay, have at it. I I don't care anymore. I'm out from under the pile. Uh, anyway, let's start out, as we always do, with the scariest things that happened to us this week. Mikey, what went down in your life outside of the scary basement that spooked you to your very bones? Roxy, I am a noted Elden Ring video game player. This is very true. It's one thing we know about you and everybody else listening should know about you. Known across the world. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And I got to a very big giant. Oh, dang. Another thing people know about me is that I'm afraid of giant things. And I got to the biggest giant in the game. He was a fire giant. Say what? He was a fire giant. Okay, that was going to be my next question, because I know there are many different types of giants. So, okay, yeah. fire giant. What makes a fire this... giant even scarier? Does he wield fire? Is he on fire? Very little. He, he's got some fire, but it's okay. just how big he is. He's bigger. Okay. He makes the other giants look like pipsqueaks. Uh-oh. Does he just, like, step on you and one-shot you? Yep. Oh, yeah. great. He's got, he's got like, <laughs> a big right. uh, circle. He's got a big circular gear. <laughs> Oh my god. And he like smashes you with it and you uh, die very fast. Okay, that's a very from software weapon to have. You have to ride up to him and he's scary and I don't know. I think giant things just make me realize how small and insignificant I am. It does make you question your place in the sense of an ecosystem, I guess, right? (sighs) I hate it. I wish (laughs) everything were my size or smaller. (laughs) Then why are you playing a from software game? (laughs) point everything's bigger than you practically i just want to be the biggest thing (laughs) okay so then you are the strongest thing and the least scared thing hopefully that would make me feel much better (laughs) roxy what spooked you this week uh i will get into that but i have to ask real quick did you beat the fire giant i did yeah okay look at you conquering your fears mikey the trick is you have to hit him in the ankle and then his shin guard explodes (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and you can hurt him in the ankle. Do you have to do it like 20 million times? <laughs> it takes a long time. Yeah. And then halfway through, halfway through, the fire giant, his leg breaks. And he oh. rips off his own leg. Wait. And burns it. He burns what? his own leg. He holds it up to the air and burns his own leg. And so, the, and then a, 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 an <laughs> eye opens up on his chest. Oh. And so you're like, oh, that's the new weak point. Now that the ankle's gone. Okay. And you go and try to hit him in the eye, and he instantly kills you. So the oh. secret is to just go back to his ankles and hit him for way less damage. They train you to focus on his weak spot, and then they punish you for focusing on his weak spot <laughs> afterwards. It's very funny. <laughs> the fact that it also just insta-kills you with, like, an eye laser or something afterwards. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> so... The scariest thing that happened to me this week, or the scariest thing I encountered this week, was actually a YouTube channel. It has a very generic name called Top Mysteries, (laughs) Um, which I will send a link to our gracious editor, who will put it in the show notes for us. But it is a channel hosted by a British fellow 
who covers disappearances that happen out in like the wilderness and the wild. Um, mm. So it's mostly kind of like a true crime thing. Like oftentimes it's about, you know, how people can like prepare for everything going out into the wilderness and just some freak accident can happen or the weather can turn on you, even though you checked ahead of time and you can just die or there can be weirdos <laughs> out in the woods who want to kill you and you didn't know it. <laughs> I, I like the idea of you just out in the wilderness and the weather is like, like the clouds are forming and you're just like, well, I guess I'll just die. <laughs> Basically. What else can you do? But then there's crazy that ones about like scary. people who made it out or people who were found or just like weird anomalous things where a child will be missing and the weather and everything involved should have meant that the kid was found dead. But then they're found like a week later, perfectly fine, not even malnourished. And, like, not oh, dead from exposure. You're talking about the, the boy from Hatchet. <laughs> yes, the boy you from Hatchet. You remember that book, Hatchet? <laughs> <laughs> We've talked about Hatchet before. I have not read it, but I know it is, like, a classic American <laughs> childhood reading thing that somehow I was never assigned, and I don't know why. The ultimate second to third grade reading book. <laughs> Someday you're oh. going to become the kid from Hatchet, Mikey, and you'll be able to use all your survival skills you learn from Hatchet. I truly hope I don't. <laughs> Do you keep I a hatchet hate, in I, that I, toolbox you bring everywhere? You got a little hatchet? I hated that book just because the circumstances were so uncomfortable. Uh -huh. I mean, it's scary. <laughs> I don't like it. Speaking of things that are scary, here comes our scary butler kind of guy, the demon bot. Uh-oh. Mikey and Roxy, you were assigned the 1997 film Event Horizon directed by Paul W.S. Anderson and starring Lawrence Fishburne, Sam Neill, and Kathleen Quinlan. Did you watch the film or your soul's forfeit? All right, Roxy, I watched Event Horizon. Did you? Yes, I did. Good. Then you may keep your souls. For now. Uh, so yeah, Mikey, we watched Event Horizon this week, which is by your favorite director. <laughs> Yeah, what's his name? Paul Giamatti? <laughs> Paul Anderson, the man Paul who made Anderson. the Resident Evil live-action movies that did so well. Both my most favorite and least favorite directors are named Paul Anderson. And it's very easy to mix them up because it's basically the same name. Because they have the same name. Like, one of them has WS in the middle, right? And which one, I always forget. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, Dude. how about, uh, for those of you who didn't watch Event Horizon, let's do a uh, plot summary for everybody Love it. listening. The year is 2047. The missing starship Event Horizon sends out a signal from a decaying orbit around Neptune. Where has this mystery ship been for the past eight years? And what message has it sent out? Is its crew still alive? The man who made the ship, Dr. Weir, along with the rest of the crew of the Lewis and Clark, are sent to find out just what the heck happened. Captain Miller and his crew were told the public-facing story that the Event Horizon blew up and failed its mission. But <laughs> Dr. Weir tells them that's actually not what happened at all. The ship had an experimental drive to fold space-time and allow faster-than-light travel. All was going well until the test flight caused the ship to just disappear. <laughs> it's gone. However, now, eight years later, it's back, and it sent a single audio file. The audio sounds positively demonic, and the only discernible words spoken are in Latin for some reason that seem to translate to, save me. The crew makes it to the event horizon, and it is intact, but silent. When they board, they find a fucked up frozen corpse floating all around, a bunch of bones, skulls, flesh, and viscera painting the walls. 
This people goop appears to be all that remains of the crew of 18 people. Justin, the youngest crew member, finds the ship's gravity drive a spiky medieval-looking room <laughs> with a rotating spiky metal sphere with rotating rings and a portal thing. Justin is pulled into that portal thing and is found catatonic when they manage to pull him out. The guy then tries to kill himself by going out of the airlock. So horrible were the things that he saw in that space that he wants to end it all. <laughs> However, Captain Miller saves him and they manage to put him in stasis. The ordeal with the portal also damages the Lewis and Clark ship. So not only are the crew forced to board the Event Horizon, they can't leave till their own ship is repaired. Now that everyone is stuck on this accursed ship, they begin to see visions from their pasts and hallucinations. Captain Miller sees a vision of a crewmate he failed to save who burned up in space. And not only does this vision try to kill him, it produces real heat. Are they all imagining these things? Medical tech Peters deciphers the ship's log and is shocked to find absolutely grotesque images of the crew mutilating themselves and each other. In the video, the captain is holding his own eyes out in his hands and they hear the full audio clip from before. It's not save me, it's save yourself from hell. While the crew learns that the ship apparently went to hell, Dr. <laughs> Weir is trying to repair the ship so they can bring it back to Earth. Weir sees visions of his dead wife who killed herself. This vision asks Weir to join them. Meanwhile, Miller makes a decision to evacuate everyone and get out of this cursed spooky hell ship. And further still, no one should be able to repeat this cursed trip the ship experienced. They need to destroy it. However, Weir, who has slowly been descending into the madness of the ship's influence, actually likes being on the hell ship and doesn't agree <laughs> with Miller's plan. After that, everything goes to shit. Peters is lured to her death by a vision of her son. Weir finds her body, and seeing it is the last thing that pushes him over the edge. He then gouges out his own eyes and is fully possessed by the event horizon. Weir then takes an explosive and destroys the Lewis and Clark ship right as it was finished, killing Techman Smith and blasting Cooper into space. Weir then kills medical Techman DJ and vivisects him. It's real gnarly. Miller and his second-in-command, Stark, confront Weir on the bridge, and he overpowers both of them, and then also initiates a countdown to reactivate the warp drive. That's right, they're going back to hell. Weir then also shoots the glass in the front of the ship and decompresses the entire cabin, and it rips him out into space. He's dead? <laughs> Miller, Stark, and Cooper, however, manage to survive this and plan to use the front of the ship as a lifeboat to escape and destroy the drive in the back of the ship. But wouldn't you know it, the ship has other plans. As Stark and Cooper are safe in the front, Miller is forced to fight a resurrected version of Weir that the ship has materialized. The two fight, and Miller manages to destroy the bridge, saving what remains of his crew and dooming himself to be trapped or exploded on the back half of this demon ship. 72 days later, what remains of the lifeboat section of the ship and the three remaining crew members is found. The rescue party saves the crew. Or do they? Just as the rescue crew arrives, the ship door closes unexpectedly. Is the ship still an evil hell ship bent on killing everyone it comes into contact with? We'll never know, because that's the end of the movie. The end! Event Horizon, <laughs> <Just> the end. <laughs> that was Event this Horizon. Was such a film. Okay, Roxy, this Mikey? movie uh -huh. takes a concept that I love. Uh -huh. The ship is alive. Yep. And it's coated in hell. It's <laughs> just crawling with hell. Yep. And... It's so hard <laughs> to figure out, like, what the truth of this story is that I felt almost lost throughout the entire movie. Okay. 
Yeah, I think that's fair, because one thing to note about this movie, before we start getting into a lot of things that will be like, well, why the fuck did that happen? That doesn't make any <laughs> sense. Uh, a lot of this movie was cut, because when it was originally pitched and everything, I guess the executives at Paramount didn't quite realize how horrific it was going to be. They were mm. like, we, we make Star Trek. This is a space movie. Give us a space movie. And then... uh <laughs> <laughs> to be fair to the producers, it was originally pitched with Muppets. I mean, they said they wanted to do The Shining in space. They wanted to do a haunted house <laughs> movie in space. That was like the plan. Um, but they were like so grossed out by it, like both the executives and the test audience, they were forced to cut like over 30 minutes of footage. Hmm. So a lot of things, like for instance, Stark, like we don't see if she's scared of anything. We don't know her backstory at all. Cooper, we don't <laughs> see his. Good. Smith, we don't point. see his. Uh, but I think, like, actually everybody had a thing kind of, like, from their past that the ship would recall and use to manipulate them. And, like, three characters, we didn't even see that. I wouldn't be surprised if that was part of it. And then also, mm. when they decode what happened to the 18 members of the previous crew, we see, like, maybe 20 seconds of that in the final mm -hmm. cut. It was, like, several minutes long and incredibly grotesque, apparently. <laughs> uh, so that That's got cut brutal. down. Uh, so we don't know, a lot of other things were documented, I don't know all of the details of all of the missing scenes, but, so, some of it can be explained by that, but not everything. <laughs> this is not so a solid movie even with that, I'm sure. It's interesting that you call it, uh, or that they pitched it, rather, as The Shining in space, because The Shining, I was thinking about a lot. I was like, this mm. movie, because, okay, we, it is very unclear what the ship does <laughs> what, like what, yeah what it, it will means materialize that, like, things physically sometimes and then also not but then also it literally brings back weird like as a physical manifestation i think yeah. so well exactly i think that's the, the the major problem with this movie is that like every you're like i think this is what's happening like there's <laughs> yeah. it's hallucinations it is a, a lot of like dreams and bullshit yeah <laughs> I wrote down just, uh, this movie is just like kind of bullshit. It's just things are happening. Uh -huh. And I was thinking about The Shining a lot because that is a movie where things kind of just happen and it's sort of unclear. And I was trying to figure out why that works so well and why this wasn't working for me. And I couldn't figure it out necessarily <laughs> because it, it's it's like The Shining is a movie that is chaotic, but mm -hmm. in like an interesting way. And this movie is chaotic, but it's kind of trying to ground itself. Yeah, like I think that's the problem. Like, The Shining, it's kind of amorphous. Like, looking at The Shining, you could be like, oh, it's just a man who went insane. Or it could mm -hmm. be like, oh, yeah, the, the building made him do it. Like, you could interpret it different ways, and the movie can be viewed different ways, and they also don't go out of their way to try and explain it. But then this movie is like, hey, a science thing happened that's wacky, and now this stuff is happening, and more than one person is seeing all the weird things, so it's probably not just in one person's mind. So mm -hmm. you kind of can't try and interpret it or read it other than the way they present it, and the way they present it is not exactly clear or <laughs> it's straightforward. <unclear>. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Th this movie has one of my favorite kinds of scenes, uh -huh. which is the try it again in English, Doc, uh -huh. <laughs> kind of scenes. <laughs> Where he's like, Weir, Sam Neill, is trying to explain how the Graviton device works. Uh -huh. And he's just like, well, you have to understand how neutrinos work. And they're like, uh, speak English, Doc. Which is the funniest thing to make fun of somebody for that 
you're stupid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're like bullying them because you're an idiot. <laughs> yeah. And it's also because you're like, it's in service to the audience because you're also stupid and won't get it unless we explain <laughs> it this way. So it's like double layered. <laughs> but yeah, I think you might be right. I think you're onto something there with like, if they didn't do that and it was just like, it started as clear as just like a man is in a hotel it was silly, silly things happen. Like, yeah, if this was like what was going on in the ship and like the kind of silly things that are happening all feel like they're, they're, <laughs> they're simultaneously too disparate, like taking possession of people and making hallucinations are like they're yeah. separate things, but they're, they're kind of overlapping. So like those powers aren't clear. If they don't try to make this like big excuse for like, it went to a hell dimension and it's just like, Dude, this ship is fucked up. <laughs> they just got, that would almost make it scary. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of what they do. That is kind of what they do to an extent, though. They're like, the ship left, and it, when it left, it was a normal ship, and then when it came back, it was something else entirely. So, like, the ship is basically the antagonist, and, like, they're mm -hmm. within it the whole time. They describe it at one point to being, like, it's reacting as if the people in it are like, pathogens or, like, a virus or something that needs to be destroyed. So it's trying to get rid of them. Is how yeah. one of the explanations is, which like complicates it even further. If they were just like, <laughs> it literally went to hell and is a demon ship, so it can do weird demon things. Like I would accept yeah. that. I'm like, yeah, that's fine. Even though it was a sci-fi movie, now it's fantasy demon shit. I don't care. I believe yeah. that because why not? That would rule. <laughs> so yeah, like whenever they try to explain it, it's like, nah, you you should you you shouldn't, or you should just be like, it could be that, but that makes no sense. So it has to be demons. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. It's it's in two worlds. It is simultaneously fantasy and science fiction yeah which like can be pulled off and is fun and i think that's one of the reasons why even though a lot of this movie doesn't make sense like a lot of it is very fun but there's like uh -huh. a middle chunk of it that's kind of like really boring where it was like more boring than i remember at the beginning i was like man i forgot this is pretty hype i'm really excited to rewatch this <laughs> like the production value is neat there's like cool shots in space there's miniatures you were, like, interior. fist pumping, I remember. You were just like, I'm so fucking stoked for a better rise. <laughs> yeah. And, like, the interior of the ship is very inspired by, like, the Aliens movie, especially when everybody's sitting around, like, the main crew is sitting in that, like, main area with a big table when he's explaining the neutrino drive or whatever. Uh -huh. I mean, it looks like it could be another room from the Aliens movie. Uh, right. It which was, looks very Aliens. -y. Yeah, like, a lot of the set design was so cool. They even did a thing where, like, they literally put Notre Dame into, like, some sort of, like, graphics <laughs> program. And then uh -huh. extrapolated parts of it to construct the ship. So it looks more like a gothic cathedral, kind of. Cool. Where, like, if you know to pay attention to that, you're like, oh, yeah, like, why does that pillar or structure, like, look <laughs> like that? Like, it has no reason to look like that other than because it's cool and looks like a design element from Notre Dame because <laughs> hell in a church. Um, that Okay, so that is very cool and kind of gets into, like, a working theory I have about this movie. Oh, okay. Because, again, Dr. Weir, Sam mm -hmm. Neill, Sam Neill's character designed the event horizon mm -hmm. and he's on the mission now to go now that the event horizon has reappeared and he loves the event horizon so much <laughs> he's so does. proud of his creation so it's like it does kind of make sense that he would like put all this love into the design that he would reference notre dame and and build this beautiful design but a vibe i was getting even very early on in this movie is when sam neil is talking about like gravity 
he's talking about the gravito- graviton well, and he's like, what it does is it shifts gravity around. So there's like pure gravity. I, I was even then thinking, is Sam Neill working for gravity? <laughs> is, he, is he like a traitor to the side of gravity? <laughs> like, I think this movie functions as well, if not better, if Sam Neill has been a stealth agent the entire time. Like, by the end, he is full-blown the representation of the ship and, it, like, is completely possessed yeah. by the ship and is the monster. But if he is all along, like, trying to get these people, like, his behaviors all make as much sense, if not more. Well, he's... Okay, so another thing that this movie does that I find really interesting is that he is, like, our viewpoint character in the beginning, and he's the one who's an outsider. So yeah. it's also a lot easier to kind of, like empathize with him and we know his wife is gone we don't know why yet when the movie starts and like we start with a very like vulnerable private moment of him waking up dealing like looking at a photo of his wife being like Mm -hmm. very solitary and then he goes into the ship crew with everybody else so he is presented to us as if he is the main character but as he slowly like you get glimpses of him being kind of like an asshole like he's very condescending to cooper at this one point that is just like it sets you off where you're like i thought i was supposed to like you i don't like you what the hell so it's kind of it starts off a little like kind of subtle where at first you're like empathizing with him then you're like oh he's kind of an asshole then it's like he just goes full-blown crazy and then it's like oh actually lawrence fishburne was the main character the whole time actually and he does a great job in it, too. Like, all of the actors are very fun to watch for the most part in this uh-huh. movie. It's insane. Um, but yeah, Lawrence Fishburne is actually our main character. And, like, he's the one who makes the noble sacrifice and, like, saves mm-hmm. the crew. He keeps a level head. Um, yeah, so it, it does this thing that, like, I completely forgot that it did that, where it subverts your expectation of who the main character is, which is neat. Yeah. I think that's that plays into a little bit of the confusion. It does like how, too, how yeah. Disparate like this movie feels. I'm like, who am I tracking here? Who do I like? Yeah, which like I think if it was anybody other than Lawrence Fishburne, where it's like, I recognize you from stuff you did like after this. Like I know that I like you as an actor and you're fun to watch. So it's like easier to kind of accept where it's like, yeah, he's a big name guy. Of course, like him being the main character isn't as weird. But like when you're seeing that, I think it was before the Matrix, right? Because Matrix was ninety nine. Yes. And like he's been in plenty of other stuff since then. Uh I don't know how many Speaking things he's been Matrix, in though, this, but what? There is a scene where like Sam Neill has to like crawl into the oh heart God. of the ship or something. Yeah, uh-huh. And it looks like the Matrix. But like you remember that movie that It's trend, like green. Like, uh, it's got like that green cyber tech yeah, kind of aesthetic. It yeah. looks like um somebody sweeted the Matrix. Like, do you remember when people were like making really <laughs> low budget recreations of movies and they're calling it sweeting them from like um, Oh, is that what be, that's called? Be kind rewind. Okay. Yeah. because uh, they were like, oh, it's a Swedish movie. <laughs> uh it looked like they had hung up posters of <laughs> green circuitry on the wall. And it was like I took a look at it, I was like, I can't believe they put this on film. <laughs> it was so funny. Like, if I wasn't I like I noticed it and then I went back and like looked at it but if I hadn't it would have just glossed over me like oh yeah this is a weird tech zone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's straight up printed posters. Fuck <laughs> <laughs> up on the wall, it rules. And then the other thing I want to talk about with Lawrence Fishburne. Okay. Is the best line in movie history maybe. It's the oh. funniest thing I've ever heard anybody say. It's when they watch the video of the former crew 
uh-huh. just destroying each other, just like horrifying. And there's a man literally who has ripped out his own eyes and holds his own eyes up for the camera. Yep. And the the crew of the Lewis and Clark, our characters, are watching this movie. And the second the guy holds the his eyes up to the camera and it cuts back to Lawrence Fisherman, he just goes, we're leaving. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so like some dude. <laughs> This does not work for me. <laughs> like the lady so... who decoded it, she like basically falls over and like gasps and looks so horrified when she first like decodes it. And then yeah, <laughs> like the second in command lady looks pretty horrified but like stoic when she looks at it. And Lawrence Fishburne is just like, we gotta go. That's it. That's <laughs> that's our cue. Evil ship. <laughs> gotta go. He, he might as well have gone, check please. <laughs> God, no. It ruled. Also, speaking of eyes and iconic lines, my favorite line in this movie is towards the end when Sam Neill has already ripped out his eyes and he's sitting in the captain's chair. Mm -hmm. And then Lawrence Fishburne and his second-in-command lady find him and he swivels around and they're like, oh my god, what the fuck happened to you? Because he's all fucked up looking. Uh And like he talks about how cool the ship is. And then he says, where we're going, we don't need eyes to see. And then, like, punches the button for them to go back to hell. <laughs> and the countdown starts. It's so goofy. And the way they, like, zoom into his face. I can't forget it. Seared into my brain. There is uh, a character in the final season of Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Who uh-huh. it's revealed, like, the second time he appears that he is uh, blind. Oh. And he's like, a, he's like a Hollywood agent. And so he's just like a dick. And he does that, like, thing when he walks into rooms. Oh. And... And then he re- he reveals that he's blind and that he was just making that clicky sound as echolocation. <laughs> <laughs> and I think there's that's probably what Sam Neill meant by <laughs> where we're going. We don't need eyes because we will use echolocation and click as we walk into rooms. Yeah, that's the uh, way that they navigate through hell. I mm-hmm. Except that. Sure. Why not? <laughs> so in thinking about this movie and its characters' journeys... Uh-huh. Nobody the, the the changes that these characters go through are so not changes. Like I guess if we're looking at Weir as the uh-huh. main character, Dr. Weir, Sam Neill. I keep saying I, I just want to call him Sam Neill. I mean all. either is correct. Weir, Dr. Weir, Sam Neill. We all know what you're talking about. Say Sam whatever Neil. you feel like in the moment. <laughs> Sam Neill does change from scientist to demon. Like that is technically a character change yeah we didn't talk about so his motivation real quick his wife committed suicide because he wasn't around or it's like okay lady you have nothing else going on in your life it's like the perfect fridging a lady scene for his backstory with that but so i think he basically sacrificed his marriage and his wife so that he could build this stupid hell ship so it's like mm-hmm. literally all that he has. And so instead of moving on, he just doubles down and is like, yeah, sure, I'll become one with my ship because mm-hmm. I have nothing else, I guess. Yeah. So he, I guess, doesn't change. He just goes further and further into caring about the event horizon. It's like an example of what happens when you don't move forward, I guess, when you don't mm-hmm. change. And then simultaneously, we have Lawrence Fishburne's character, who his whole motivation is that the guilt he feels is he lost a crew member Mm-hmm. And never wants to do that again. So he's like doing everything he can to make sure his crew makes it out. And ultimately he does. But I, I don't know. That's that's not really the kind of change that you would expect well, for like a character arc. It's just more of like an action he is able to accomplish. And he's able to live up to the expectations he wanted for himself, I guess. Right. That, that's what I wrote down. I wrote he like it was a realization to me late in the movie. It's like this isn't an arc. This is like he wants 
in the beginning to keep his crew safe, and at the end, he does. Like he just yeah, for the most part. I mean, they lose like three people, fifty <laughs> percent. <laughs> he, he weirdly does not go through any arc, and I like this is like a very uh, my script doctor brain turned on. I was just like, okay. Lawrence Fishburne uh-huh. should not give a shit about his crew at the beginning of the movie. Why? Okay, what what is what is the thing that you envision for Lawrence Fishburne's character motivation then? I think he is somebody who's like, well, listen, you know what you signed up for. Yeah, this is going to be dangerous, but who gives a shit? Like, we are a part of this military, a part of this mission. Like, we have to achieve this. And they're like, well, I really want to get home. Like, I got to get home to my son. And he's like, your son doesn't matter. What matters is the mission. Like, if he's that type of character and then goes through this and sees how horrible these things are and, like, realizes how important his crew's life is and then gives of him, gives of himself, sacrifices himself, then all of a sudden we've got a character arc. We've got a story. <laughs> he goes from one place to another place. I think you could even tweak it more mildly where, like, the situation where the crewmate died, it was unavoidable. Like, literally, he made the right choice to protect the crew behind him by unfortunately having to sacrifice the one guy in front of him because of, like, Mm -hmm. this airlock situation. So he, like, made the right responsible choice in that moment. But if you had changed Mm -hmm. it where, like, his cowardice or his fear for himself, his own Mm -hmm. life, took precedent over this crew member or something, you just change his motivation or, like, the things that happen in that backstory that you don't even have to see so that Uh he makes the chance, or the choice to, like, sacrifice himself at the end where yeah maybe if he thought himself was the most important thing or like he couldn't get over the fact that like he's the captain he's responsible for other people but he still cares about himself number one he Mm -hmm. just gets over that sacrifices himself they go out and then yeah that's it yeah that's great that's perfect like either either one of those things would work (laughs) and uh (laughs) yeah they chose to not do that um, and I don't think that was in lost footage, so you can't explain it away that way. Yeah. <laughs> Which, uh, by the way, okay, so I wanted to surprise you with this fact, Mikey, about the lost footage. Okay. So supposedly, the lost footage was found in a spooky place. Do you want to guess where it was? Uh, a well. Kind of close, actually. Oh, a yeah. A <laughs> Transylvanian salt mine. <laughs> Apparently- <laughs> Lost footage was found in a Transylvania salt mine. I don't, I couldn't tell if it was completely like corroborated, like if that's real. Either it really did happen or it's the urban legends surrounding this movie that the lost footage was found in a Transylvanian salt mine. <laughs> Damn, a movie set in a Transylvanian salt mine sounds awesome and probably better than Event Horizon. It if could we're be. being honest, the, the story of finding this footage is absolutely better than the story of this film. But then also they were like, oh, yeah, and then some other crew member guy has a VHS copy of it. And then in 2021, they looked at it and they were like, we can't use this. (laughs) (laughs) So I was like, okay, let's just stick to the Transylvanian salt mine version because you can't even use that VHS that somebody found in 2021. So, okay. (laughs) Fuck. Would you watch it? Would you watch the the gnarly version of Event Horizon? Uh, A lot of the things they cut were not even like gnarly things. So, yeah, I would want to watch it. Like there's, there's some split parts of it they were able to find where like dr weir is talking to maybe like the executives or some other people in charge in a boardroom setting where they're Mm -hmm. like expanding on something that sounds good yeah it sounds absolutely (laughs) thrilling but like the the backstory like the three other characters who didn't see hallucinations of things related to their past like i'm assuming a lot of the cut content is also them they were probably like Mm. we need to prioritize on the characters that we focus on because we can't have them focus on like seven characters because there's six <laughs> six crew members plus weird right so 
I feel like they probably Good. cut part of that just to keep it more focused. <laughs> I'm glad they didn't cut any of the exhausting first hour of this movie where I literally wrote down, we are long past due. Yeah, so that, that's the thing. I was I started this a while ago and then we got off track where it's like the beginning of the movie, you're like, yeah, this is hype. What's this mystery? What's happening? And oh my God, the ship's so weird. But then when they get on the ship, it gets like really boring for like 45 mm -hmm. minutes or so. And then when <laughs> stuff finally hits the fan, then it goes insane again. And you're like, what the fuck's happening? What's going yeah. on? Yeah. There's so, a yeah. long stretch of this movie where you are just like, ah, go cook dinner. Yeah, it's like mood <laughs> dressing where it's like, you could have cut these other things instead. And yet, okay, <laughs> this is the stuff that made the cut, I guess. <laughs> I'm not sure why. <laughs> What a great movie. So what do we think the big idea of this movie is? Uh, so that's that's a good question. I mean, we're talking about how the characters don't really have specific arcs, but in a way, yeah. the fact that like Sam Neill's character, who is the main focal viewpoint character at the beginning and the main antagonist, his deal is that he doesn't move on. I think it's saying something about that, too, to be like how self-destructive we can be if we give in to stuff like that. But also like on a grander, more kind of, abstract level it's sort of like a lovecraftian horror about this giant thing that doesn't care about you doesn't care about mm. human lives you're just like a rock in its path and if it corrupts things along the way and everybody dies that's just what happens because that's what it yeah. does and it doesn't care about you <laughs> <laughs> that is that is very scary this the idea of a chaos dimension yeah uh, it's like a cosmic horror fear of the unknown you know and also mm -hmm. just like the people I around do, you can be that scary too i guess that's another i do really appreciate that that take of like uh, this movie being about ambition and the pitfalls of it have you ever seen schenectady new york i don't know if that's how you say it. uh i think it's schenectady schenectady um i have it's not actually this... seen that movie but i know some things about it it's that's a movie about a, a character. It's Philip Seymour Hoffman. Is it Philip Seymour Hoffman? It must yes, be. it is. Yeah. About how like he writes a play that takes him his entire life. And it's kind of dreamlike reality, but it, it is a horrifying moment when he realizes like, oh, I let my entire life slip away trying to make this play perfect. Mm. And as you were just now describing this idea of Sam Neill trying to make the event horizon perfect. Yeah. <laughs> There is a much scarier version of that story, and it's in Synecdoche, New York. It's, like, emotional and frightening, and doesn't even have to employ the age-old screenwriting device of a chaos dimension. Yeah, you know, that age-old <laughs> age device. <laughs> Roxy, I got a question for you. Okay, Mikey, what is, what is your question to me? This movie takes place in the year 2047. Oh boy, does After it. We're, we're going to be going to <laughs> Neptune and having stasis pods and teledimension drives. I did forget about this very funny moment where in the beginning it starts giving you a couple like important dates. Oh, yeah, and yeah, the yeah. first one is like, in 2015, we went back to the moon. And I was like, <laughs> you guys missed the mark on this one because what we actually did in 2015 was watch like auto-tune the news. <laughs> like, we, weren't, <laughs> we weren't doing anything. Uh, but okay, so most most of this movie, this entire movie takes place in the year 2047. What do you think you're going to be doing in the year 2047 in your life? 2047, so I'm going to be like in my 50s. <laughs> I'm going to be, I'll just, I'll swing for the fen fences. I'm going to be the number one VTuber in the world. I'm going to be an old lady streaming from my bunker because the topsoil has been consumed by global warming. Playing PS2 like games on a CRT TV. <laughs> yeah, so only the CRTs will survive yes. <laughs> the oncoming apocalypse. Everything else will melt. Only That'd the old cool. archive shit will be left. 
Uh, You'll be yeah. the number one VTuber in the world, but it's because there's 40 people left. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I mean, hey, it's, it's big fish, small pond. Hey, <laughs> I'll take it. What about you, Mikey? What will you be doing in 2047? I'll be a skeleton. Oh, okay. So you didn't make it to the bunker. Gotcha. I can't imagine I'm going to be in a financial position to afford any sort of uh, climate change lifeboat, as it yeah, were. Yeah. No, oh, 90 I'm for sure. 99% of us will probably be up there with you. Mine's more aspirational. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm proud of you. I'm going to push you into the bunker and stay in the apocalypse myself. Oh, that okay. That's how I survived. There you go. You get to make a noble sacrifice. Uh, so, Mikey... This movie uh, was pretty wacky, pretty pretty out there. Uh, so on a scale of one to nine, uh, how likely do you think the events of Event Horizon are to happen? I gave it a seven. Did you? Okay, please yeah. explain. Because, okay, I think this is the, the number one thing I hate in like multiverse stories is when the other dimensions are like pretty much our dimension, except they've got blimps now. Like mm-hmm. there's just like so silly boring. little differences. Like this is as close to opening another dimension as we're going to get because it would look like chaos to us. Everything would be different. Everything would be insane. And so this, I, while I would argue that this idea of a chaotic other dimension makes for a bad story, I think it's a great articulation of how we as people would wrap our minds around going to or getting something back from another dimension Mm. too crazy to even fathom yeah okay yeah i can buy that that makes total sense (laughs) what number did you give it i gave it a one out of nine (laughs) (laughs) because i was like yeah I, i give it a one because people will probably eventually do far space travel and make bad choices while doing that far space travel in fact it's probably that's probably a nine out of nine uh, but to mention uh-huh. hopping to hell, making a living sh- demon ship, you know, <laughs> Pro- probably not scientifically viable as we saw because they couldn't even explain it with fantasy science. <laughs> so one out of nine. Yeah, that's very true. It's not a, not a realistic idea. It is also very funny to me that they they go to this dimension and people are ripping out their eyes and it's uh, super crazy. But to somebody from that dimension just got weird little people mr justin popping into our universe we got a whole spaceship like it's just as crazy to them yeah for real to to them ripping out their eyeballs is like taking a shower you know it's just like part of the daily routine this isn't weird yeah for all we know i could grow back in hell dimension that's just what they do that's their every day i I bet those eyes do grow back because we saw dr weir gets his eyes back and he yeah he said you don't need eyes where we're going because he's you're gonna get a new pair that's why. Right. You don't need these ones specifically that I'm holding in my hands. You can get some <laughs> new ones when we get there. You don't need eyes where we're going because they're provided. Yeah, don't worry about it. <laughs> so, Mikey, last week we made a bet about this movie. The mm-hmm. bet was how many kills happen in this movie. Oh, Mikey, you I, said... I said eight. And I said 20. <laughs> um, <laughs> Such a funny disparity. <laughs> Which I was like, I think I reasoned it because I was like, there's two crews and I think everybody died. I don't know. It was a VHS when I saw this. Um, The Mm. answer is 23 total because there were 18 members of the original crew and then three members die on screen and then two die in the final explosion slash warp drive thing. So like it's either 21 or 23. We don't know what happens (laughs) to Lawrence Fishburne and uh, reborn Sam Neill. 
<laughs> I think they are dead. I think I hope so, I hope so for uh, Lawrence Fishburne's character that he is not alive in the hell dimension. <laughs> hey, here's something I'm realizing that is probably the biggest sin this movie commits. No, uh-huh. we never get to see the hell dimension. I mean, yeah, we just get to see snippets of how people on the ship interpret it. We don't get to see what the actual dimension dimension looks like. Just what happens to people who go to the dimension. That is and a it's like their own gun making. sin. Yeah, it's not like, here's this demon spear that you got from the demon dimension to, like, eviscerate your neighbor. <laughs> like, we, <laughs> that you don't would even, be so cool. You don't see anything from it. Yeah, it's just, like, interpreted. <laughs> what a shame. Dude, what a wasted opportunity. How dare they not give us a hell dimension? It's like, if you introduce a hell dimension in Act 1, you have to go confront there. hell in Act 3. Show us horrors beyond imagining. That's what you're supposed to do as a movie maker, right? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, In any event, you absolutely win the the bet. The score as it stands is Roxy with 20 points, Mikey with 19 points, Ty with one point. Okay, still neck and neck. As we all know, something happens at 30. Something, question mark. Nobody knows. Nobody literally knows. Or the people who did know are gone. Or escaped, or maybe also in Hell Dimension, who knows? Or maybe merged. Mikey ate our only clue that we had, so <laughs> maybe someday we'll find a new clue. I'm optimistic. Yeah, I ate rabbits this week and a clue last week. Yep. Uh, I have a problem. He's like a hungry, hungry hippo. Hungry, hungry Except Mikey. cuter. <laughs> hey, one second there, Roxy. Over there in the corner of the scary basement. I think that's the gravity drive from event horizon and it's warm someone must have turned it on oh no you don't think the scary basement went to the hell dimension do you honestly i hope not because if it did the scary basement would be sentient now and that might mean it could even possess us well judging by the movie we should be safe as long as we don't gouge out our own eyes that's a good point hey real quick this is like so random but i'm just gonna gouge out my eyes real quick Mikey! Oh! <laughs> oh no Ugh. Mikey, are you possessed by the scary basement? Yes, I am the scary basement itself, and I have such wonderful sights to show you. Well, by wonderful, I actually mean kind of unsightly. The upkeep around here is not great. What do you want? I want to be a finished basement. Huh? A finished basement? A finished basement, with insulated walls instead of this cold, gray, blood-splattered rock. And like cool mood lights instead of these blood red torches lit by sinful magic. Maybe we get like a couch, you know, just a real chill one and like an L shape. Instead of all these glass filled beanbag chairs. I want to be the kind of basement you'd like to hang out in and watch movies with your friends. It's just that sounds like a big project and kind of expensive. But finishing the scary basement would add so much overall value to your scary home. You do know this isn't my home, though. Me and Mikey were just inexplicably and supernaturally drawn here every week. Oh, so, so it's, it's like, like a, a rental sort I mean, if you don't pay rent with money, but with the time of your immortal soul, I guess? Then I shall speak to the landlord about finishing the scary basement. Who is the proprietor here? I don't really know. There, there's a demon bot we always see down here, but he has more of like a butler vibe. To be honest, this isn't even really my problem. I'm not paying to finish the scary basement, especially on my own. I can't even imagine Mikey would want to help either, seeing as he'll be busy adjusting to not having eyes thanks to you. 
Oh, I could give Mikey his eyes back. The Event Horizon gave them back to Sam Neill in the movie, remember? That's honestly like the least of my problems with this. Are we going to hire normal human contractors to come down into the scary basement and put up the drywall or something? We'd be subjecting them to living scarecrows and cloverfield monsters running around down here. I suppose we could do all the labor ourselves. I'm not handy enough to do that. Well, me either, me either. I just feel like all the monsters and fiends down here in the scary basement stay in their own rooms and don't really take advantage of the space that is me. Okay, you know what? Uh, would it make you feel better if Mikey and I stayed down here to watch the movies we're forced to watch for fear of losing our eternal souls? You know, sometimes. Maybe not all the time. I, I, sometimes. That would be nice, yes. And when you do, see if that living scarecrow wants to join. A lot of us are worried about him. I'll just give you back your eyes quickly there, Mikey. Hey, Mikey, your eyes are back. Oh, and actually sharper than they were before. Oh, uh, sharper in terms of, like, you can see into multiple dimensions, including the hell dimension, or? No, I just, I just rubbed my eye and, and cut my finger. Oh, okay. Well, I don't know what kind of repercussions that's going to have for your daily, day-to-day life, but, uh, <laughs> I'm sure you can tell me all about it later. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you if I am able to put my contacts on without perforating them. Yeah, good luck? <laughs> And speaking of perforating contacts, I'll bet that's what the demon bot would love to do to us. That's how you get your soul into another person's body. Here comes the demon bot! Congratulations, you have successfully reviewed Event Horizon. Your souls are safe for another week. For next week, you must review the 2021 film Resident Evil Welcome to Raccoon City directed by Johannes Roberts and starring Kaya Scodelario, Robbie Amell, and Hannah John Carmen. If you do not, your souls will be forfeit and I shall claim your bodies as my own. Okay, Roxy, so for next week, Resident Evil, welcome to Raccoon City. Resident Evil! We're finally doing a Resident Evil movie, Mikey. I love Resident Evil a lot. Me too. It's my favorite video game of all time. That's true. Like, number two specifically as well, correct? Yes, Resident Evil 2, both both the original and the remake are my favorite video games of all time. Remake so so good. I mean, they're both good, but yeah. Fucking remake, Presumably. everybody can play it. <laughs> it's so cheap all the time, too. It's like $11 on it's Steam It's constantly going on sale. Everybody, I don't care. I'm going to shell for Resident Evil 2 Remake. Go buy it. <laughs> Go play it. I have a standing offer to my friends who play video games with me that I will buy any of them the Resident Evil 2 Remake. Oh my god, okay. Time. I hope all of them uh, listen to this episode of the podcast, and then after this goes live, you're going to get, like, 50 messages from people being like, hey, about that Resident <laughs> Evil 2 offer, Mikey. You said. Uh, you said. Up to my discretion, who I actually consider a friend. <laughs> okay, there we go. You have the little asterisks under the advertisement. Uh, but for next week, let's make a bet about this Raccoon City game. Let's do movie. it. <laughs> what is it? A movie? Uh, same difference. <laughs> Resident Evil has a lot of different monsters throughout the many games. How many of those monsters, Roxy, do you think are going to make appearances in this movie? Um, I am going to guess five? Probably kind of low, but I'll say five. Okay. I, I'll go a little higher. I'll say seven. Okay. Cool. The pact has been sealed. I mean, the bet is confirmed. Whoever is closest to the number of video game monsters that make it into the film shall be declared the winner. The loser will have every copy of their Resident Evil games permanently modded to look like the designs from this film. All right, Mikey, we've been talking a lot about hell. 
in hell adjacent dimensions and being possessed by hell adjacent dimensions. So why don't we talk about something that's making us happy this week? So what what made you happy this week, Mikey? What what went down in your life that made you happy? Roxy, I found a man on okay. the internet. <laughs> oh. His name is Earl Nightingale. He's from the 50s. <laughs> okay. Uh, all of his YouTube videos are like digital recordings. Wait, of wait. His, okay. Like, He's a YouTube man from the 50s? Hang on. He is only on YouTube because somebody took his records, his honest to God vinyl records. and Oh. Like digitally put them on the internet. I'm realizing I have no idea what that process would be. Okay. I mean, I don't know either. It's kind of fascinating to think about. But so is this dude still alive? Was he like, yes, do this for me or? No, he's very dead. Oh, okay. He's crazy. He's might have been dead before I was even born. He's super dead. He's like five skeletons. (laughs) (laughs) His skeletons are having skeletons. Yeah. But he is like... As far as I can tell, one of the very first like motivational speakers, which has like a not great vibe to it, but he talks all about like how you find success in life. You set goals, you uh, take advantage of the present, you uh, think about how you want to achieve something and then you can do it. And I put his videos on Uh and listened to them while I played Elden Ring, the video game. Nice. And it was just like the sweetest moment of my life. I was just like expanding my brain and killing monsters, and it just felt really nice. So I actually ordered his book. He's got a book called The Direct Line. That oh, has what year did come it come in. out? Oh, also, knows. like similar time period. Yeah, that information is lost to history. Okay, man, I'm just imagining like how people were originally listening to his vinyl records. Like he put it on the turntable and just yeah, sit there and listen to his his stuff that uh-huh. way too, huh? He has a video that I want to say, like, came up a bunch. It seems like his most famous work uh, called The Strangest Secret, does Earl Nightingale. And The Strangest Secret is just like, if you believe something is going to happen, it will happen. And you act as though. That's wild, too, because I feel like so many other, like, self-help kind of thought processes have come, not come up with that, because obviously they didn't, uh, have... Mm -hmm towed that same line and so maybe this was the first guy to like do that and then all these people after him just kind of (laughs) was like oh yeah hey that still works (laughs) it does feel like one of those like original ideas like one of these like core like that we've all kind of believed because he references like there's bible verses about it he's like oh wow okay uh, it's it's written in sanskrit that the only the man who believes can achieve kind of stuff um so yeah it really helped me uh well of course link the strangest secret in the show notes. Yeah, I think just like archival projects like that, like preserving lost media, I think is such a cool thing on any level. Yeah. Especially as technology like grows and advances and like old media technology. I mean, like this fucking movie we were talking about literally had degrading VHS tapes that couldn't be played anymore just because the way we archive stuff isn't forever. So, you know, mm-hmm. unless somebody takes the care and time to do that, how many other things have been lost by the wayside, you know, that we didn't. Right. That's why it's our responsibility to check the box in our iMessages that say, keep texts forever. Yes. (laughs) Yes, that's the takeaway from this, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Can't have that. Roxy, what's making you happy? So what's making me happy this week is the uh, show Taskmaster. I think I've talked to you about the show before, Mikey. Do you know it, Taskmaster? Uh, 
I know, I know of it. I have a bunch of friends who uh, watch it and are talking about it. Okay. I, I love this show. It's a British TV show where there is like a host who is the taskmaster and then his assistant guy, which like the assistant guy is actually the guy who like came up with the show and comes up with like almost all of the, well, probably not all of them because I'm sure there's like a team of people, but like he comes up with a lot of the puzzles and tasks that they have to do. But mm-hmm. the way the character he plays on the show is he's like the little sycophantic guy to the dude who is the taskmaster. Mm-hmm. But it's like a bunch of British comedians who are given an objective to accomplish and they can come up with as many weird and creative ways to do it. It'll be simple, like even kid-like things like get a ball up a hill the fastest. Um, mm-hmm. Or it'll be things like a more precision or abstract thing like make a portrait with the food available in this kitchen. And whoever resembles the portrait most closely to the person you're trying to do wins. <laughs> so it's like all kinds of crazy stuff like that. And so lots of people will come up with like very straightforward ways to do it. But since they're comedians, it's still funny. Um, mm-hmm. Or they'll come up with really off the wall ways to do it, which like might not work, but it's still entertaining. And then there'll be other things like, for instance, I think there was one episode. I can't remember which one. Like they had to throw a ball to a thing but they couldn't step on this carpet in front of it. And so someone was like, okay, I'll just step around the carpet and then I'll hit it. Does that work? Uh-huh. <laughs> so it's kind of like if you take the rules at their face value and then kind of like flip them, you can come up with like some other creative ways to like do it too. And like, that's still valid. And then the guy will just score it arbitrarily sometimes to be like, yeah, I didn't like the way you did it. So two points. <laughs> <laughs> and then, at the end of each season, like, somebody will win. So it'll have, like, a set of, I think it's, like, five or six comedians every season. And so they'll, like, mm-hmm. continue competing and earning points. And then whoever wins, like, gets a statue of the Taskmaster that's, like, gold. <laughs> and bragging rights to say that they won. That rules. So it's, like, it's for fun. And it's not like they're competing against each other to be, like, you know, top number one puzzle solver. Or you're going to get a million dollars or something. Uh, So it has, like, a very sense of, like, playfulness to it. And they did a really cool thing during the pandemic where they do at-home challenges. And, like, Mm. this thing is huge with kids, especially in Mm. the UK. Like, kids love this show. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's very cool to see kind of, like, a puzzle-oriented show where, like, they have to think about stuff like this. Like, adults are playing on it, and there's plenty of, like, adult humor. Like, it's definitely made for adults but can be enjoyed by children. Mm. It's just an all-around very fun show. I highly recommend it. They got a ton of episodes for free on YouTube, so you can even watch it for free on YouTube if you don't live in the UK or can't see the time slot that it normally comes out in. Um, and I love it. It's it's nice to just pop it on and see what weird things they're going to come up with. That's wonderful. Not enough shows have a sense of, like, playfulness. Yeah, yeah. It really it's does. cutesy. Yeah. Be cute. <laughs> Media. <laughs> Well, Roxy, it's time to get out of here, and yet, each week, the demon bot hires a new monster to guard the basement door, and yet, each week, we also keep escaping. Yeah, we're- It's a huge waste of his time. Yeah. I mean, you know, we, we get to feel pretty cool when we get out every week, I'd say, so- I will say this week- Accomplishes something. It's, it's in question whether we'll escape, because I forgot to bring a weapon. Oh, man. Okay. Um, Maybe we can see what all I've got. All I've got. No, no, no. I've got all I have with me is my wallet. So let's see if there's anything in here. All I've got is debit card, vaccine card, two year old condom. Oh, here we go. Here we go. A hundred dollar Starbucks gift card. Hmm. Um, I got this for my birthday a couple years ago. I just never thought to use it. So Uh, bribery is what we're dealing with this week. Maybe. Yeah. 
Or is it like a really sharp card? You're going to like slice. No, it's very dull. Oh, okay. <laughs> Not as sharp okay, as your you know, eyes you know, are now are. You know how sharp my eyes are? Just think of the exact opposite oh, Okay, of gotcha. <laughs> All right, let's see what's out here. Is it something that oh, can be bribed? It's a pumpkin head. Pumpkin heads might want to buy things. Hey, uh, uh, pumpkin head, hey, uh, I know you're working hard, buddy. This is for you. You go ahead, you take this, you use it to, uh, get yourself a coffee. Thank you, that's very nice. Go on ahead. <laughs> what a delight, Mikey, we should do this more often. You need to buy more $100 Starbucks gift cards. Sp- spread the love around to the monsters down here that don't get enough appreciation for their hard work. Roxy, Mikey? let's go before he finds out that I used most of that gift card. Oh my god, Mikey, you should have said that part first. 